Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast, starting off, as I always do, by directing your attention to wealthformula.com. That is the home of this podcast on the internet. And that is where you've got all sorts of opportunities to further your involvement into the Wealth Formula community. There's lots of free stuff, free books. Uh, lots of ways to get involved on the various lists. Of course, you can join Investor Club there if you are an accredited investor and you want to stop just listening to these things and actually participating, you know, getting off the sidelines and making something happen. Uh, speaking of getting off the sidelines and making something happen, I want to point out that the Wealth Formula Meetup the next one is coming up April 24th and 25th. This is going to be uh, just as good as, as the others. It is a uh, it is going to be in Phoenix, Arizona, and uh, it will feature a number of very well-known people, uh, some from before, some uh, new ones, uh, including we uh, have Tom Wheelwright back, of course, to talk about taxes. We have Doug Laudmel, but we also have Kenny McElroy, uh, who... Uh, Many of you know is the Rich Dad Advisor to Real Estate uh, for Robert Kiyosaki. Dave Steele, of course. We've also got Richard uh, Wilson coming. Richard, if you don't know who he is, he is uh, the guy who started something called Family Office Club. And he has a lot of knowledge when it comes to really wealthy people. He's got, I think he has three or four billionaire mandates in his group. Uh, so, that will be fantastic. You're going to learn about oil and gas. I'm even going to do a little talk uh, a little about something a little bit different uh, just to keep things fresh. It's going to be about happiness. Now, if you want to sign up for that, you're going to need to move quick. Go to WealthFormulaEvents, with an S, dot com. Again, that's WealthFormulaEvents.com. We are capping, once again, at 100 people and... Uh, it is, uh, it's going to fill up quickly. So if you've been to one of these events, I will tell you that the most exciting element of these things is the ability to meet one another because Wealth Formula and Wealth Formula Nation, our community, is the best podcast community in the world. Um, you know, there's lots of podcast communities out there, uh, and ours is unique in that, you know, I mean, listen, it's not... Uh, I should say we it's the best podcast community in the world for people like us, right? People who are not trying to escape the cubicle, people who are not, 
you know, just trying to figure out how to make their first few bucks. This is a very, very accomplished group of individuals who comes to this group. It's not that everybody's super sophisticated when it comes to investing, but we have a lot of smart people, a lot of doctors, a lot of dentists and lawyers and, and business people. And, you know, a lot of friendships are made. We, you know, have a good time. We learn a lot and we have lots of cocktails. It is super fun. Can't wait to see you there. April 24th and 25th uh, in Phoenix. Again, that is wealth, wealthformulaevents.com. Now, as for today's show, you know, um, this is, uh, I think, apropos uh, of the time. You see, um, with with the death, the tragic death of Kobe Bryant, Now, I have to tell you that I don't like basketball. Uh, I don't like it at all, even though I'm a, I'm a tall guy. and Everybody tried to get me to play basketball as a kid. Uh, I rejected it. Uh, and, uh, when I tried, uh, when I went out there, I wasn't very good either. Cause when you don't like something, you're, you're not very good at it. I was an ice hockey player in Minnesota. But, uh, what I will say is that despite the fact that I don't like basketball, I knew very well who Kobe Bryant was. It was sort of like, you know, Kobe Bryant, Michael Jordan, right? Those, uh, those are the names you just know, right? Everybody knows them. And therefore was, you know, just as shocked as most people about the news, uh, you know, with the tragic accident that took uh, his and his daughter's life. And, you know, the thing about it is that it actually reminded me, you may find this uh, odd uh, that I would say this, but it reminded me very much of my reaction uh, back in 1997. I was, uh, it was my medical school uh, orientation week and it, we were at a, you know, we were partying and we were at some bar and, you know, there's TVs at the bar and all of a sudden they flashed up that Princess Diana had died in a car crash. And I remember that I was really upset by it. I was really upset and disturbed. Now, you know, I'm not like a big follower of the royal family. I could care less, but I knew who Princess Diana was. I remember as uh, a little kid uh watching the wedding on TV with my mom, right? Uh, and, and, and so it was pretty, uh, pretty powerful. But I'm sitting there with a friend of mine uh, from med school. Actually, he was a guy who went to high school with who was, uh, who was also in, uh, at Northwestern at the time doing ortho, uh, orthopedic surgery. And, uh, you know, he says to me, so what? People die all the time, Right. So my initial response to him was, you know, basically you're a jerk, you know, you're you're a real heartless jerk. I mean, this is awful. Uh however, I have to say that when I look back at that situation, I look at the situation with Kobe, um it does beg the question, right? Of why someone uh who could really not care less about basketball like me or the British royal family could get so disturbed uh, when unexpected tragedies like this happen to, you know, people who have really uh, no connection with, right? No, like, they don't know them. They don't really pay attention to them. They just know who they are. Why is that? Well, I think the reason is that, you know, high-profile tragedies affect, um, I think the reason they affect us the way they do is because, They somehow strip the world of its makeup, you know, all the cosmetics. Uh, You know, in order not to go to crazy, not to go crazy, uh, most of us have to create uh, a reality in which things happen 
for a reason. And, you know, thinking of life as cruel and disorderly and, and, and downright dangerous does not really help with a sense of well-being. And that's what we all want to have, right? So what do we do? We slap on some lipstick onto reality and pretend that we are masters of our universe and that we are in total control. Now, Kobe Bryant's death puts that sense of order in doubt. He was, uh, you know, a super successful guy, beloved athlete. People who didn't even like basketball knew who he was. He had four kids. He was strong. He was smart. And he seemed like he was just getting started, right? If someone like that can die suddenly, then that puts uh, that sense of order completely out of whack. It makes no sense. But change and loss are inevitable, you know, and they're inevitable for everyone, rich, poor, powerful, weak, you name it. The question is, how do you get through it? Now, I I certainly don't know the answer to that, but uh, my guest on Wealth Formula podcast uh, today, Russell Gray, uh, is doing his best to help himself and others to do just that uh, because of some uh, recent uh, tragedies in his own life. Russ is a really good friend. He's a wise man, and he will be with us right after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to WealthFormulaBanking.com. Again, that's WealthFormulaBanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession-resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my guest on Wealth Formula Podcast is one half of the dynamic duo that makes up the Real Estate Guys radio show, the number one uh, real estate podcast in the world. Now, Russ has been a friend of mine for several years, uh, and I got to tell you, I really enjoy talking to him. He's a guy who's seen a lot, success, failure, uh, happiness and sorrow, and he's you know he's never afraid to talk about any of this. And in that respect, he offers a, a significant uh, opportunity for people to learn from. Uh, he's a guy with a lot of wisdom. In fact, um, for this reason, I and and for many reasons, I had invited him to our next meetup, uh, which we uh, had uh, called Hindsight Twenty Twenty, in part because we were going to be reflective on this. But unfortunately, he had a prior commitment. Uh, so the next best thing was to have him on the podcast. So Russ, uh, my friend, welcome back uh, to Wealth Formula Podcast. 
Thanks, Buck. It's uh, always a pleasure to be with you. And I want to say congratulations to you for your success and the, and the difference you're making in the world right now. I know you're changing a lot of lives and sharing the things that you've learned. So keep up the good work. I appreciate that. You know, um, you know, Russ, you know, a lot of people already know you uh, from the Real Estate Guys radio show. But um, give us a little history on yourself before you did that. And, and then maybe we can kind of uh, transition into, you know, sort of the topic for today, which is, you know, being reflective in trying to understand how to learn from, you know, these problems in your life and things like that. Yeah. So um, I'll answer the question kind of in the context of the topic yeah. uh, and get kind of the highlights or really kind of the lowlights right. uh, of, of, of my life and my career. Uh, I met a pretty little blonde when I was 16 years old that I uh, wrote in her yearbook her junior year that I wanted to spend the rest of my life with her. Uh, I ended up proposing to her at 17 years old and marrying her at 18 years old and uh, trudged off into life. Uh, I was too impatient to go to college and ended up um, in corporate America at the very, very bottom of the corporate food chain and quickly realized that I had no future there and I needed a way out and I needed a mentor. Fortunately, um, my uncle was an experienced salesman in Southern California and he took me under his wing and I learned outside sales in the streets of LA. And that was a real eye opener and a life skill that really served me the rest of my life. Um, after uh, kind of getting caught up in the LA hustle and bustle, uh, I, I made some mistakes in my life that uh, nearly cost me my marriage. My wife left me for a period of time. We nearly divorced. Uh, and it was the first major setback that I had. And I purposed in that to figure out who I needed to become uh, to win her back. And thankfully, I did. And then we uh, set off in many, many years of marriage and had kids. And um, when I was about 40 years old, I had gotten to that point in life where I was tired of the corporate grind and decided that I saw a lot of opportunity in financial services. I had a mission that I felt I, I wanted to do if I could make the world better in one way. I wanted to do it through financial education. And I decided my entree into that would be the mortgage business based on what was going on macroeconomically. And people who follow me know that I'm kind of a macroeconomic nerd, uh, but I try to figure out where the flow of money is going to be and put myself in a position to benefit from that. And uh, so from 2000 to 2008, um, I took a fun ride in the mortgage business, made gobs of money, owned millions of dollars of real estate. Mm -hmm. uh, that's where Robert and I, you know, I got involved in the Real Estate Guys radio show. We were doing the seminars together. Um, we started a real estate development company that exists to this day. Um, we wrote a book. We had a TV show. I mean, it was like he and I had the Midas touch. It was yeah. awesome. Yeah. And of course, then in 2008, it all fell apart. Um, but an interesting thing happened to me, um, kind of turning the time clock a little bit back. In 1987, when I was 27 years old, I was in the securities business. So I took a little time out from corporate America and made my first entree into entrepreneurism. I'd already started and sold a business. I had already bought and sold a piece of property and made profit. So I understood equity. I was entrepreneurial, so I wasn't quite a full-blown B and an I to use the Robert Kiyosaki cash flow quadrant mm -hmm. vernacular, but I was definitely oriented that way and learning. And so um, 1987, my dad took a company, a high-tech company he started public. He took it public in June of 1987. 
And he, you know, became an overnight nine figure, nine, eight figure millionaire. And so uh, he was in his lockout period where you can't sell your, your insider stock uh, when October 19th, 1987 hit stock market crashed. Unfortunately, he was margined on some of that stock. It dropped all the way over 90%. He took the margin call, couldn't raise the cash, got taken out. Not only did he lose his fortune, he got handed a huge capital gain because even at the takeout price based on his founder's rate, it created a huge phantom gain. He had no money, but he had a big tax liability Mm -hmm. that cost him his home. Really, it cost him his career because he lost his confidence. My dad's, and I love my dad and have gobs of respect for my dad, but my dad at that time, his self-worth was wrapped up in his net worth. Sure. And I looked at that and I made a vow to myself. I said, you know, if that ever happens to me, and I hope it doesn't, but if it ever does, I swear (laughs) that I will not lose my mojo. I will not think that because I lost everything that I'm a permanent failure Uh, It's just something that happened and I can rebuild. Well, little did I know at about the same age as when he lost everything in 87, I lost everything in 2008. And so that was a big, big hit. And, uh, and so then to fast forward, you know, kind of rebuilt, got back on the horse. And just this last December, that pretty little blonde that I married way back in 1978 died in my arms after 41 years of marriage and 43 years together. And then that was the hardest hit of my life. And so I'm just now um, about seven weeks removed from that experience. And I've had to figure out how to really rebuild my life without my, without my wife. And I've never lived alone uh, as an adult or as a child in my entire life. And I'm figuring that out too. So that's kind of it. Yeah. You know, big picture, a lot of lessons in there that I'm happy to share. Yeah. You know, and, and that's, uh, that's kind of what I I thought would be a a really, um, useful, uh, topic for us because, you know, you are, I think, uh, sort of like me in that you're, you're a problem solver. Right. And I think the thing that makes, um, people like you and me most uncomfortable are things that you can't solve. And, um, before the show, you and I, you were telling me a little bit about some of the, um, you know, some of the strategies that you initially tried and, and, and didn't seem to work very well for, you know, your most recent, um, loss, uh, and, and then ultimately sort of how that led into more of a process that I think, uh, that might be useful for, you know, not only these kind of personal tragic losses, but, um, you know, all kinds of, uh, setbacks. Do you want to talk about that? Yeah. Well, I, I, I think, you know, from a practical standpoint, every single person listening at one point or another has, or will suffer a tragic loss. We, we lose love, we lose money, deals go bad. We have health issues. There's just, you know, a thousand things in life that happen to us. And what I've learned in my nearly 60 years on the planet is that the people who have success uh, aren't the ones that avoid loss because it's common to all, but it's how, how they respond. How quickly do they pick themselves back up when they've been knocked down? How quickly do they get back in the game? And, you know, the first time it took me a long time, took me a few months to really kind of figure out, uh, 
who I was and that I loved my wife and I wanted to try to win her back. And then I realized uh, a particular area that I needed to work on. And that was my, my discipline. I was undisciplined. I couldn't control my urges. I couldn't control my impulses. Uh, I couldn't control my temper. <clears throat> I wasn't abusive or anything like that, but I was a typical young guy that just wasn't in control of myself at, at the level that a mature man would need to be uh, if he wants to really have a responsible life. When I lost everything in 2008, uh, I was in the dumps for about 90 days. So I didn't have any money. I was just feeling sorry for myself. And even though I'd seen my dad's experience and had vowed not to let that happen to me, it's one thing to say, oh, I don't, I don't want to let that happen to me, but it's another thing to know what to do. And so it took me a while to kind of figure that out. Um, this last time I drew upon those previous two experiences and I'd never taken an emotional hit like this. So I really didn't know what to do. And so I did what I always do when I don't know what to do. And it's not YouTube, right? <laughs> but, right. uh, but I read a book. So a yeah. friend of mine sent me a book about how to survive the loss of love that she had found, uh, helpful when she lost her father. And I read that book and I got a couple of pieces of the puzzle. And, and part of that puzzle was, you know, you're going to feel this in your body. You need to be kind to yourself. Give yourself time to heal. Um, this is just the same as having a, a really bad physical injury. So it was kind of, it's okay that you're, that you're hurting. It's not unusual. There's nothing wrong with you. You're not weak. You're just going to have to go through a process of healing. And so I took a week off and I was meditating on that and I was journaling and I was doing a lot of crying and thinking sure. and just all the things that you do. And um, I realized at the end of the week, I was, not only wasn't better, I was worse. And I thought, well, I can't, I can't keep going like this. Then my daughter gave me a book called It's Okay That You're Not Okay by Megan Devine. And I didn't even read the whole book. Sometimes I don't read a whole book. I get to the point where I get the thing, the aha moment, like, okay, right. I got the piece that I needed. And what I picked up from that, and I don't know if this was her words or if it was something that she said that stimulated this in my own mind, but it came out in a journaling session, which was one of the very first things I did. I started getting up every day and journaling just to process what was going on. Uh, and that's a habit that I've had anyway, but I mean, I really turned it up a notch doing this. And what, what she said, or what I came up with is, you know, when you stub your toe, it's an injury and it hurts. It turns black and blue. It hurts like hell. Uh, you, you, you feel like, you know, your toe is never going to heal or maybe that it got cut off, but it's not really that bad and it'll heal. And then you'll be back to normal. And then you can have an injury where your foot gets ripped off in an industrial accident and it hurts like hell, except eventually the pain heals, but you're never the same. Yeah. You're basically, you know, disfigured or mutilated. And that's what this kind of a loss is. I, I, I'm never going to forget my wife. I'm never going to stop missing her. I don't want to run from the memories or try to erase that. And I don't want to just bury the emotions and be with busyness because I could do that too. Uh, so I'm allowing myself to feel what I'm feeling, but I'm also realizing that it isn't about healing. It's about adapting yeah. and understanding that fundamental difference. Just like my balance sheet after 2008, <clears throat> my, my business, my income wasn't going to heal itself. It was never going to grow back 
on its own. It was only going to happen if I took action and I had to adapt. I didn't have the same things to work with. I didn't have credit. I didn't have capital. To a degree, my reputation had been tarnished. A lot of the infrastructure that I had was no longer there. So it was a whole new ball game. And the same thing was true here in this, uh, in this incident in 2008 or in, with the loss of my wife uh, last December. Yeah, you know, it uh, brings up a lot of uh, other, you know, things I've heard, uh, you know, actually, um, I think actually yesterday, I remember, I don't know, I was watching something where Anderson Cooper was talking to somebody uh, about the Kobe Bryant, it was, it was the the husband who had lost his wife in there, and um, said that Gloria Vanderbilt had told him after his father's loss, uh, and after his brother's loss, the same thing, which was that, you know, um, that that grieving doesn't have a timeline, right? It's ultimately a, um, you know, it's just something that is there and it will continue to be there. Uh, and, uh, you know, you just kind of move on, not move on, but you, you continue with your life. You know, like Ben Hardy says, uh, change is inevitable. The question is, you know, is there growth? And then, and so, so you, you made sort of a, I think a decision from um, from what you're telling me that you're going to try to, you know, try to figure out, okay, well, what is the path forward then? And then I think um, you actually sort of felt like there was a system, like a systematic way of doing that. Is that right? Yeah. Uh, you know, Buck, you know me, um, one of my skill sets, I, I'm not very good at very many things, but I'm pretty good at a couple things. And one of them is strategy. Mm-hmm. Pretty good at trying to figure out how to get from point A to point B. <clears throat> and it's about what needs to be done in the scope and sequence, kind of a step-by-step. How do I take what I have and work with it to get what I need to get where I want to go? And, you know, you do that in investing, you do that in business. Um, and I just said, well, I need to apply that same methodology. I need to define a process that I can follow to get from where I am to where I want to go. And I didn't know how to do that from a healing perspective, but I clearly knew how to do that from an adapting perspective. So uh, the, the, the first thing that I did was I just, as I mentioned, carved out some quiet time to just begin to journal. And in the process of journaling, uh, I asked myself questions. And I always say that if you want great answers, you got to ask great questions. Mm-hmm. So I was asking my question, what is the way forward? And what came to me was the first thing I needed to do was I needed to cultivate positive energy in my life. Uh, I was experiencing a a tremendous amount of negative energy, sadness, sorrow, um, loss, grieving, uh, and there was no escape from it. I mean, reminders of her were everywhere. And like I said, I didn't want to forget. So I was going to have to bring a counterbalance of positive energy into my life. And I was going to have to cultivate that. And so then the next question is, well, how do you do that? Right. So, well, the first thing I got to do is I got to cultivate positive energy in my, my body. I need to take better care of my body. I'd spent the last several months sleeping in hospitals, eating whatever was available, not really working out. Uh, I was deprived of sleep, deprived of nutrition, deprived of exercise. And so physically I was already drained. Then I added this emotional drain. So the first thing I did was I stopped drinking just completely. I just said, you know, I'm going to admit to myself that I'm a a potentially weak human being. I'm in sorrow and I don't want to be that guy that is crying himself to sleep at night, watching mindless TV, sucking down a bottle of Jack Daniels to alleviate my pain. 
So I'm just going to announce to the world and myself and make a commitment. I'm just not drinking at all, not socially, not privately. I'm just not going to do it. That was Mm -hmm. number one. Mm -hmm. Number two is I was going to put good things in my mind, not negative things. So I I, I said, I'm not going to watch TV. I get all the news I need from my news feeds. You know, most of the time I'm just watching talking heads, you know, expound relentlessly about trivial things going on in the world that really don't impact me, but they're all negative. I said, I don't need it right now. I don't have the emotional strength to handle it. They're going to put good ideas in my head, good things in and on my body. Uh, I, I set up appointments with doctors and naturopaths, you know, chiropractors and physical therapists. And, and uh, I went and, and got blood tests done and started getting uh, supplementation. I didn't try to be a do-it-yourselfer. I went and got professional help to just improve my, my body chemistry. You know, how can I yeah. do that? So, so number one was, was, was just creating positive energy. And the other thing was just surrounding myself with the right people. And I've already done, I think, a pretty good job. You know, I have a great network, a very supportive tribe. And so rather than avoid engaging with people, you know, within a few weeks, I was out at our annual goals retreat. It was great. I was around a bunch of positive people. Last week, I went and spoke at a conference for some investors on a sat on a panel on macroeconomics. That was great. Uh, and so I continue to engage in my life, um, but I but I really am working on emphasizing time with positive people. So I could go on and on, but the, yeah. the idea is, step, you know, whatever it is for you, step number one is cultivate positive energy. And then that's a goal, but it isn't really a strategy. So I had to come up with a strategy and a set of tactics underneath the goal. How do I actually do that? And for me, those are some of the things I chose to do. So that was step one. And then- um, Step two, yeah. I can go on to. Yeah, go on. Yeah, so step step two was to uh, to establish productive structure, and it was based on this premise that there is no motion without emotion. I'm a big believer that emotion is what motivates you; it's what propels you. And a lot of people go to seminars or they read self-help books or they get inspired or motivated, but it's short-lived because they get this burst of energy, but it isn't, it isn't focused in a structure. So I liken Mm -hmm. it to an explosion. You know, if you have an explosion, uh, there's a big release of energy and maybe it destroys a few things or warms the room for a little while. But without any real structure, it just comes and goes. If you compare that to, say, a, you know, a gun or a rifle or a cannon or something, you have an explosion. But because there's structure to, to funnel that energy in a specific direction, you can aim it at a target and hit the target. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, I've just been given the gift of extreme emotional energy. Mm-hmm. Either it's going to roll me over or I'm going to channel that through some productive structure. And so I decided that that's what I was going to do. And I also knew it was going to be so much energy that I was going to need to reserve time in my schedule to actually vent some of it. So I've got Kleenex all over the house. I allow myself to look at my wife's picture. And if I feel like crying, I do. And I don't try to man up. I don't try to, I just, just vent it a little bit. But I also, I also have a lot of things driving me. And so the structure is, uh, first of all, time. It was the very first thing I did. I I got out and I I blueprinted my schedule for 13 weeks. I figured out everything I needed to do, like a budget. I said, okay, here's here's the total amount of time I have to work with. Here's all the things that I want to do by order of priority. Step number one, I need to take care of my body. So I joined a fitness center, hired a 
uh, personal coach and I, I blueprinted all my appointments. I, I got the doctor, blueprinted that physical therapist, all that chiropractor, all of that workout times, all of that. So I set that time aside first. Then I figured out when I was going to sleep, when I was going to eat, and then what was left over is when I was going to work. And then inside of that, I blueprinted all of that so that the team would know what to expect because everybody was leaving me alone because they're sweet and they're concerned for me and I get it. But at the same time, I need to be around positive people. I need to be feeling like I'm making progress in my work. So it's important for them to feel like, hey, you can engage me and here's the time slots where you can do that. You're not bothering me. I've allocated the time for you. So getting, getting really complete control of my time. Second one was my space, organizing my office, organizing my computer, or just organizing the house to my liking now because I'm in it alone, just kind of getting my space organized. And I'm still in the process of doing that. And then uh, there's more, you know, accounting structure, financial structure, entity structure, because a lot of things change, you know, when you lose your spouse. So I'm just getting all of that together. So create productive structure. Um, routines, habits, because, you know, there's an old saying that says in the beginning, we make our habits and then eventually our habits make us. And when you're in a life transition like this, the temptation is, or the, 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 the probability is if you don't manage it proactively, then you're going to emotionally at a subconscious level default to things that are bad habits, like eating the wrong food, watching the wrong shows, drinking too much, hanging out with the wrong people, uh, just a lot of things that, you know, you can naturally fall into. So uh, step two is establishing, you know, productive structure. Mm-hmm. So now um, you're, so you've got, you know, and, and so far that makes a lot of sense because you're saying first one was positive energy. You got to, you know, turn all this energy into positive energy, you know, introduce positive energy. And then you have to actually ha- harness that energy. And that's where number two comes in. What's, uh, what's the third step? So the third step is setting clear goals. Uh, strategies, objectives, and tactics. In other words, uh, having a target to aim at. So I had to redefine who I was. So uh, I created a document I call my, uh, I thought maybe I had it here on my desk. Uh, I read it every day, but it's, it's, it's my MVV go mission, vision, values, goals, and objectives. And I, I read it every day. Uh, so I get up in the morning, I journal for 45 minutes minimum And then for the last 15 minutes, I read this document and I continually refine it. The first thing I read is my, my, uh, my, my personal vision, my vision for my life. And it's really, who am I? So I call them my, I am statements. And I just made a set and a couple of them that I put in there, uh, I put in that were relevant and I'm, you know, I'm not suggesting these should be other people's, but these are mine just by way of example. One of them I put down is that I, I, I love myself in practical ways so I can love others in practical ways because mm. I have children. I have grandchildren. I have teammates. I have partners. I have people that are counting on me to bring my a game every day. But in order to do that, I need to take care of myself so that I can take care of them. It's one thing to love them in your heart, but to have the energy to love them in practical ways, you got to take care of yourself. Um, another one of that I have is I am a thriving survivor. Uh, because I do think you have to paint a picture of who you are and then be who you're becoming. And so I, I, I have this vision and there's, it's, it's a long list mm-hmm. about my character qualities and just who I am and what I do and what I stand for. And then I have my values. Uh, I have both my personal values, uh, what, you know, and I'll just tell them, you know, it's simple. Sure. It's a little acronym acts. It's, it's, uh, authenticity. Uh, I try to be an authentic person, contribution, I'm not here to take, I'm here to give. I believe in the law of reciprocity. Tenacity, 
I don't want to give in or give up easily. I fight, I compete. Uh, and then the last one is stewardship. I recognize that life is a gift. All the things that I have are a gift. My responsibility is to steward those gifts. Most of them I will not take with me. Uh, when they end, when I buried my wife, she didn't take anything with her. Uh, and I saw that and I thought, you know, I'm just a steward of all these things. Most of these things are going to end up in somebody else's possession if I'm a good steward and hold on to them until I'm no longer here. So that little acronym is really my set of values. And then in our business, we have a set of values. I have a personal mission statement, an internal mission statement, which is what kind of what I want uh, my life and my actions to do for me. But I have my external mission statement is why am I here on earth? What am I here to do? My personal mission statement from an external perspective is to um, empower individual freedom through financial education for effective action. I've been about that for going on, you know, 20, 25 years now. And it just drives what I do. And then I have a strategy underneath how to do that. But the point is you got to have a clear vision you have of who you are, a clear set of values that you operate by, a clear vi a mission statement of, of what it is you're really trying to accomplish both personally uh, internally and externally. And of course those translate in my case, because I'm an entrepreneur into my business and my investing. And I communicate some of these things to our team because their job is to help make those things become a reality. And I focus on these things on a daily basis. Now I've got positive energy. I've got structure in my time, getting up every morning, journaling, reading these things. And then all of the, uh, the time management structure, team structure, uh, productivity structure to actually act out on prosecuting uh, these mission, vision, values, goals, and objectives. And I think that's really Im important to do. That's why we do our Create Your Future event every year is to help people go through a disciplined process of figuring out what those goals are. You can't hit a target that you haven't identified and all the structure and energy in the world won't work uh, if you don't have a target to, to aim at. Yeah. So that's number three. Yeah. That's a big one too. Can't be a, uh, you know, jumbo jet, uh, traveling 500 miles per hour and not having a destination, you know, run out of gas eventually and crash. So what's, what's the, uh, what's the final step? It's easy. Act relentlessly, act relentlessly. Cause you have to act thinking about it, talking about it, dreaming about it, hoping for it. None of that gets it done. You, you've got to act and you've got to act relentlessly. I look at life and have always looked at life this way. And you know me, Buck, cause you've seen me, um, I, I believe you always have to keep your shoulder to the boulder. Uh, if you don't keep your shoulder to the boulder, there's a slight uh, uphill. Sometimes it's even steep. Uh, but if you take your shoulder off that boulder, it's going to roll you backwards. Uh, so there's no status quo. You're either advancing or you're regressing. That's it. And so once you've kind of got the positive energy going, you've got your structure in place, you've got goals that you're excited about and uh, values that you operate by. Uh, now you just got to go out there and execute. You know, Jim Collins talks about the execution, the relentless execution of the boring basics. It's easy to reinvent and refine and revisit and talk about all these different things. But if you can just focus on the fundamentals, you know, Vince Lombardi, mm -hmm. after he wins a, a football championship, spring training shows up, he's got the greatest football team uh, on earth standing before him. And he looks at him, he holds up a football. He says, guys, gentlemen, this is a football. And the game we play is about running, throwing, catching, blocking, tackling. 
kicking. We're going to get great at those things. We're going to do them at such a high level that we win. Not knowing how to do 80 million things. It's just the relentless execution of the boring basics. Yeah. How do you, um, as an entrepreneur, sometimes that's difficult to do, right? Because we, <laughs> we have a tendency to, at least I do as an entrepreneur, to, uh, you know, try to catch myself from chasing shiny objects, right? Right. But I guess the first part is admitting you've got a problem, <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, what, um, you know, in, in terms of... Uh, Do you, you want know, the answer to that? Yeah, sure. I mean, you asked the question, so I'll, I'll keep it short. Um, you know, I, I definitely have that, you know, uh, feature creep, mission creep, um, you know, idea creep, whatever you want to call it. But, you know, you're always innovating. Uh, as an entrepreneur, as a visionary, that's your job. And you have to do that. What you have to have is at your right-hand side, you have to have somebody who is an implementer of your vision. And they have only so much capacity. So uh, it's structure, and that's your team structure. So it's a structure of identifying not every opportunity you could pursue, but what are your most important opportunities. And then usually those opportunities dovetail into each other, at least mine do. So I have business A, and then I can do business B and business C and business D, but they all kind of dovetail into business A. And so you know when I have my meetings with the team, uh, it's a reality check. It's like, okay, what do we have the capacity to do? One of the disciplines we have in our organization is that when you're 80% full, you're full. The other 20% of your time needs to be dedicated to, um, to personal improvement, personal de development, process improvement, making the operation more efficient, uh, training so that you can uh, bring new people in as you grow to take your place so you can move up to the next level and cross-training so that we have redundancy on all vital functions. Uh, so the answer really is discipline. Entrepreneurs don't like to hear that, but it doesn't mean you have to stop dreaming. You keep dreaming and keep filling that idea bucket up. What you're doing, though, is just, um, is just disciplining yourself not to try to do everything at once. You pick them off a little at a time based on what your team is telling you they can actually help you implement. That is great advice, my friend. And uh, again, I do want to uh, thank you for taking the time out uh, today to be on Wealth Formula Podcast and uh, hope you can come back uh, you know, in the, in the, in the near future and, and get some updates on how you're doing and, and you know, all, the, uh, all the productivity that you've uh, been able to muster out of this uh, situation. Yeah, I mean, I would trade it all. I would trade it all back in a moment to have my wife back. But since that's not an option, there is uh, no point in crying over spilled milk, if you will, or, you know, the past is cast. So I have a new set of reality. If I would have been in an automobile accident and lost my, uh, my legs, then I would have to learn to live life without legs. I'm having to learn life, uh, live life without my wife. Uh, and that's just a reality. Uh, so I don't like it but it is what it is and I'm making the best of it. I know that she would want me to go on and have the best life that I could have. And I feel like for all the people that love me, that support me, my kids, my grandkids, uh, my partner, my partners, my, um, my friends, uh, I, I owe it. Uh, and especially for the mission, uh, just to pick myself off the mat and keep going. So I am, and this is how I'm doing it. And if that helps even one person out there uh, recover from a setback, get back in the game and get busy about their life's work, then I'm happy 
to have taken the time to share it. So thank you for giving me the platform, Buck. Congratulations again on your great work. Keep it up. And next time you schedule an event you want me at, just give me a little bit more advance notice and it would be my absolute pleasure to join you. Thanks, Russ. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. For you video watchers out uh, on YouTube, I have to apologize for the technical difficulties uh, we had there at the end. Uh, something happened with my internet. And um, anyway, my my whole street lost internet for like an hour or two or something like that. Uh, anyway, I hope you enjoyed that show. I know it's uh, it's a different topic than we typically talk about. You know, right? We don't really talk about uh, not things that are, you know, not about money necessarily, but listen, these kinds of things, uh, these tragedies are inevitable, uh, in people's lives and inevitable aspects of something that, you know, everybody has to, uh, confront at one point or another. And that all, you know, all adults can relate to at some level or another, you know, um, and to the extent that this is a platform where that's useful, you know, I've always, I've always kind of viewed this show is not just about a wealth creation in the financial sense, but I've always tried to also create some layers of this idea of holistic, uh, holistic wealth. You know, uh, happiness is really what that's all about. And, you know, well-being, that's all it's all apart. Um, it's funny because, you know, we had Hal Elrod on the show recently. And uh, Hal Elrod was one of those guys, you know, who was really talking about uh, who's one of those self-help guys. So it's not just about money. It's about all these other things. And and it just occurred to me that Hal Elrod was talking about Kobe Bryant as an example of somebody who does all these amazing things. And how ironic. Uh, that's like only two weeks ago. And the next thing you know, Kobe Bryant dies in an accident. But anyway, um, so this idea of happiness and well-being for me are a big part of wealth, and it's something that uh, I'm actually taking a special interest in this year. And in fact, at our next meetup, uh, I'm going to do a talk for you that has very little to do with personal finance. Myself, I'm going to do a talk about um, uh, about happiness because what I'm going to try to do, uh, what I've made my mission to do this year, is to put my old uh, medical student intensity in academics to get to the bottom of this thing that we call happiness um, at really at an academic level, right? At a level that is not just waving hands and stuff like that, but with real data, because I'm very curious about this. And I don't, and I think most of the stuff out there is pretty soft. So anyway, I'm doing my research as we speak, and uh, we'll hope to give you an update on my findings at the event, along with obviously a bunch of tremendous uh, other speakers uh, like um, Kenny McElroy and Tom Wheelwright at all. So, of course, there will be plenty of uh, uh, options to also uh, meet and spend time with others uh, in the group uh, and, and to build that community. So I highly recommend that you come. Again, the site to go to to sign up is WealthFormulaEvents, with an S, dot com. That is it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Save You with Buck Joffrey. 
Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.